Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is, Paul, is this the final Monday of April? This is it. The final Monday. (laughs) Happy Monday morning, everyone. Um, Where in the word are you today? I am in Ephesians chapter four. And you'll say to yourself, huh, feels like we were in Ephesians chapter three and two last week. Yep, yep, yep. You you get it. You get it. All right. Ephesians chapter four. Uh, Let's... um, Let's just read, right? Let's uh if you haven't been in the word of God today, let's go ahead and get in it together. Here is the apostle Paul speaking to Christians in the city of Ephesus and picking up in chapter 4 at verse 1. I therefore, now remember every time there's a therefore, you have to ask yourself what's the therefore therefore. And so if you haven't already, go back and read Ephesians 1 through 3. It'll delight your heart, it will it will encourage your spirit, um and it will bring you up to where we have arrived here at the opening verse of chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Grace has been given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this is uh, Paul then parenthetically saying, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions or the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And then Paul gets back to uh, his direct discourse. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Christ who is the head, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, there is so much here. Obviously, we're not going to unpack it all this morning, but let me just say, fellow saints, Christ dwells within each of us. Christ has, by grace, given each of us uh, gifts according to the measure uh, that he ordains. And it is Christ's desire that we would each and all grow up in every way into him, 
that he might then knit the body together, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, that each of uh, each of us, each part would be working properly and, and that we would then be working together, that the body would grow and build itself up in love. So much in here um, to to cultivate in terms of understanding the mind of Christ on the matters of the day. So much here to consider when we think about the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Are you, as it says in verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Are you? Do you recognize the unity of the body of Christ that we are called to one hope, to one calling, to one Lord, to one faith, to one baptism, to one God and father of us all who is over all and through all and in all? Do you get that? Do you get that? We are one. Let us be one in the Spirit and one in the Lord today. All right, Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University joins me next. Uh, We're going to get up to date on some COVID headlines. That's next here on Mornings with Carmen. It's good to have you back again. Oh, hey, 98. All right, joining me now, Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at FarmDHiker. Zach, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. Um, why don't you give us an update on, um, on India in particular? We often focus on COVID headlines as they, you know, as they relate to our personal lives right where we live, but um, that the situation in India is really dire. Yeah, so India last week reported out that they had the single highest day of new COVID-19 cases uh, to date, and it actually surpassed the U.S.'s record. So they were over 300,000 new cases in one day. Uh, The U.S. prior to that was like, I think about 290-some thousand or so, and it only seems to be going up from there. And if, you know, we think about it, India is a country with billions of people, and so really the, the sky's the limit with how high things can go. But more concerningly is sort of what this is doing to the country at the moment. So they're actually reaching a point where some other hospital systems and other healthcare uh, institutions are being pretty strained at the moment. Uh, recently, there was actually an ox- oxygen shortage in the country. And so there were people in the ICU that weren't able to receive oxygen and ultimately uh, did not make it because of that. Um, and that's just one of many elements they're dealing with. Now, on top of all that, what really complicates things is sort of the social um, issues as well. So, you know, India, of course, operates off of a caste system. And so you have some of the more privileged folks who are able to get access to care more readily than some people who are in the lower castes. And in addition to that, the other thing I think it's kind of important to consider is the fact that, you know, it's a primarily Hindu country and there's this major Hindu holiday um, that that really has kind of been going on. And so you had massive gatherings of people, of course, creating more opportunity for the virus to spread. Um, you know, I, from a Christian worldview, um, everyone deserves equal access to that which is available. Um, that is not even often how it works in um, in cultures that are Western in the way that we think. Um, and I recognize that, but it's certainly not true in a nation like uh, India, where not everyone has equal access, not not by a far stretch of the imagination. Um, I am I am anticipating Zach um, 
just massive death tolls uh, in in the wake of this. Yeah. And I don't know that psychologically, um, like for those of us who now feel like we are beginning to be able to return to some levels of normal normalcy. I mean, you know, ball ball games are now packed with people. I as I was driving around in my city uh, yesterday, church parking lots are full again, which means church sanctuaries are full again. Probably not to capacity, but certainly in much much greater numbers than has been true in the past. Um, and yet, in other parts of the world, the pandemic is is now peaking. Talk, talk with us about, um, I don't know, maybe the maybe the heart ethics of uh, the heart and mind ethics of sort of how we cope with that. How do you cope with that as a doctor on the front lines? You know, I think, I think the challenge that that we have is we can only deal in some ways with what's presented in front of us. Um, there are mm-hmm. certainly things we can think about in a big picture. So, you know, for me, I, I'm praying for the individuals in in India I actually know some some missionaries out that direction myself um, and some of my students they have family members who are tied to India quite directly so you know I have some ties that way myself it, it, so they're in the back of my heads for sure um, you know if we think about I guess ethically what we have to also consider the U.S. has kind of dominated the vaccine uh, distribution internally for a while now, but we haven't really sent a lot of vaccines externally. And so India right now, it's a very small portion of their population that has been able to pursue a vaccine um, or some of the other therapeutics that we have out there. And so really there's kind of a scarcity in available treatments. If you look at mortality rates in the U.S. Um, from, I think it was about July through November, they dropped by half. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that we learned how to treat COVID better and had better tools at our disposal. And if you compare that to what the rest of the world has, they don't have access to those things. And so it creates a real challenge and I think a need that we can uniquely address. All right, let's take a very brief break. and we come back, um, let's talk about the J&J vaccine and get an update on that and, uh, and some other COVID headlines. I'm talking with Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. Zach, let's talk about um, the J&J vaccine. What is the latest update? So the latest is that we have resumed the distribution and administration of the J&J vaccine after a brief pause. Um, Some would say that the pause is probably a little bit too long. Others would argue that it wasn't long enough. Uh, And really kind of the statement that's been coming out from some of the officials that have been involved in the process is they've said things to this effect. So aspirin, you know, something we use over the counter quite a bit, uh, it's actually got a much higher rate of uh, gastrointestinal bleeds than I think we realize. So it's somewhere between one in 500 to one in a thousand people have a bleed uh, in their gastrointestinal tract in relation to aspirin use. Well, if you look at really the risk associated with blood clots with this, which there is a risk, and, and they've actually come out and acknowledged that, it's a thousand times more likely that someone's going to have one of those occurrences than if they were taking aspirin in relation to things like, you know, gastrointestinal bleeding. And we've kind of talked about some of the risks associated with that before. Um, but I think one other thing to kind of underscore is that this does kind of bring up some of these long-term 
effects that we're going to run into because of the pause, because of the information that's gotten out there, that I think is going to impact vaccine administration and, uh, I guess, vaccine approval rates, we'll say, moving forward. And we're already starting to see that. We've seen a, a decrease in the number of people who are, are looking at vaccines at the moment. We've also seen a decrease in people who are maybe on the fence that their willingness to potentially get a vaccine in the future. All right. So vaccine hesitancy, definitely a topic of almost constant conversation. Um, and uh, vaccine demand is down. I don't know how many um, vaccine distribution locations I've driven past where, you know, it says, you know, I mean, they're, they're almost like, please come in. I, there's a museum in, in New York City giving away four free passes for anybody that'll come in and get a COVID vaccine. I mean, something's going on. We're not just talking about, you know, red mm -hmm. state America here. We're talking about uh, the middle of Manhattan. Yeah, part of it, you know, to be frank, I, I think has to also do with the fact that most of the people who are the highest risk group have already received a vaccine. It's actually a pretty mm -hmm. large portion of people, but the people in the lower risk groups, um, particularly younger individuals, have been less likely to pursue something like that. Now, part of it's because, you know, they're at college and it's hard to, you know, facilitate getting like a second dose if they have to like move back home for the summer, that sort of thing. But part of it, I think, is that that group, it's just kind of like, why? That that's their that's their attitude towards it. You know, I'm low risk. Why would I bother? All right. So um, we could answer that question again, but we have covered that. So let's uh, on past on past con in past conversations. Um, what are you what What would you say in terms of other headlines related to COVID? Um, what other conversations are you having? What else intrigues you? One of the things that has come up in conversations that um, that that I've had is related to therapeutics. Like we don't we don't seem to be hearing very much at all about therapeutics, the development of therapeutics, and you know the conversations that I've heard. It's it's because that would that would sort of take the emergency use use authorization off the table for vaccines if there were actually therapeutics, functional ther therapeutics for COVID. What are you seeing? Um, so, so with regards to therapeutics, there are a couple of novel compounds under investigation, and there are also some things that we're looking at repurposing right now. Um, there's there's a lot of, of possibilities. You know, there's only over 20,000 FDA-approved medications in the U.S. at this point in time. Um, and that's just in the U.S. Of course, in the world, there are many other compounds that have never gone through FDA approval. And what what that means for us is maybe there's something out there that could benefit us in some way, shape, or form with COVID. Now, one of the reasons that there's been sort of a delay in, in looking at some of those products in the past has truly been that with coronaviruses, we haven't really had a lot of success with therapeutics. We've tried antivirals before. Um, we've tried other compounds as well, and they haven't really put much of a dent in coronaviruses overall. So there was a bit of a delay from that. Um, I think folks who are maybe a little bit more skeptical or pessimistic would also argue that um, maybe there was a lack of financial incentive. And there is probably a little bit of truth for that, uh, truth associated with that. You know, it doesn't, for, for companies to to have something that they could take away from it, from uh, their research directly, it's hard to, to say like, hey, use this older product that you you have out there. Let's start investigating that. Um, because there's just not as much incentive for them with the way that things are structured. So there's a bit of a combination of both of those elements. There's one antiviral right now that I think is getting close to probably seeking FDA uh, approval slash emergency use authorization, that's Ferapiravir. 
that's an antiviral. Um, so it would be kind of akin to remdesivir. What we don't know was if it would be better or worse than that. So there's no direct comparisons right now either with a lot of these things that people are investigating. But there are some trials that are currently underway. All right, I'm talking with Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. Um, some some headlines related to um, repurposing old medications for COVID. So thank you for touching um, on that. And then let's also talk about some side effects or or people's like you know did my did my vaccine work if I didn't have any side effects? Yeah. So that that question's actually come up quite a bit. You know, part of the part of the reason is we've heard, especially with the mRNA vaccines, your second dose, you're you're probably going to have a reaction. There, there's at least a, a good chance in a number of people, particularly younger people. And so if you don't have one, a lot of people say, well, does that mean it worked at all? Because people have been saying for so long that it's an immune response, right? It means your immune system is working the way it's intended. Well, the answer is yes. And And so how we can kind of conclude that is if you look at the trials that were done originally to investigate the success of these vaccines, there there were individuals that were included that didn't have any kind of side effect at all. You know, it's a, it's a pretty good portion of people. And those individuals still had the same kind of success rates when you look at decreasing hospitalizations, decreasing severity of illness, and decreasing, decreasing transmission of the virus. So even without that, like, I guess, visible response, the immune system is still being um, made to mount a really effective defense against the virus. Okay, this is a completely random question, but I was asked yesterday, so I thought, "Mm, I'm just going to ask Zach. So do you think that, you know, like going forward when I have my annual uh, exam and my doctor says, all right, now I want you to go have some blood tests, is COVID antibodies going to be like a part of regular blood testing going forward? You know, that's tough to say. I would say uh, on a routine screen, probably not. Um, there, there's a billing component of, involved in things like that. So you really have to talk insurance companies into that, right? But mm. the, the other thing I would, I would say is you, we, might, we might run into a situation where we're trying to track variant spread. And that might be the only time where something like that comes into play. Um, if, if there's any concern about particular variants. So that's that's something that's a little bit out there. But again, there's a lot of other steps sort of in the way before something like that would happen. Hmm. All right. Well, there you go. Now I will just tell I will just tell other people that we don't know. That's what I told him yesterday. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So that, I, that is that is a, I have uh, become very, very comfortable with that answer to the question, by the <laughs> way. I don't I don't know. I'll ask. I don't know. Yep. I feel the same way. Oh, thank you so much, as always, um, for continuing to talk with us. Um, as the storyline continues to unfold, and with you, we're certainly praying for the people of India um, and others who are on the front lines in places around the world where um, the numbers are spiking and um, and deaths are on the rise. So thank you uh, for joining us again today, Zach. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're going to take a, a brief break, and then we'll be right back. All right. uh, You and I have each and all faced a number of hinge moments in our lives. When I think back over my professional and personal life, I could recall hinge moments in 1994, 2001, 2009, 2011. That's when I got married. Um, I was presented with a hinge moment in 2015 when uh, someone suggested in a whiteboard session that I should sit down in front of a radio microphone and host a live show. Uh, I had never 
been on a radio show. I had certainly never hosted a radio show. But somebody suggested, you know what? We think you'd be pretty good at that. Uh, you should try it out. Um, so, yeah, that was a hinge moment. The most important hinge moment in my life, which influenced every other decision and continues to do so, uh, came in 1984 after the death of my um, 43-year-old dad. That hinge moment was the presentation of the gospel when I gave my life to Christ. Hinge moments are the decisions in our lives that have a disproportionate impact on us and those around us. Dr. Michael Lindsay, who um, up until just a couple of weeks ago, I would have been introducing to you as the president of Gordon College. Uh, Well, Gordon College actually um, inaugurated a new president on the 22nd of April. So uh, Dr. Michael Lindsay is in a hinge moment as well. He joins me next. I have three grandkids, and my heart skips a beat every time I get to see them. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. More and more, I meet grandparents who become guardians over their grandchildren. For various reasons, parents aren't able to care for their kids, and grandma and grandpa step in. I want to encourage you, whether you're the legal caretaker for grandkids, or you just get to hang out every once in a while, Your influence is powerful. You have the opportunity to make your grandkids feel valued and to grow in confidence. Don't miss out on these incredible occasions. If your grandkids are like mine, they love being together just as much as you do. Find more parenting help from Mark Gregston at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. very many heroes, but uh, Michael Lindsay is one of mine, Um, and yet I'm uh, a little curious how I am supposed to introduce him this morning, and so I'm just going to introduce him as the author of Hinge Moments, Making the Most of Life's Transitions, because um, as of the 22nd, I'm pretty sure that after a new president is inaugurated, you're not the president of Gordon College anymore. That's right, Carmen, but looking forward to assuming the presidency of Taylor University this summer. I know. So we're totally excited about that. But that would be skipping ahead to my last question. And so I will start with my first question because the book releases tomorrow and it is just excellent. Um, Really, um, I'm excited for for people who did not read um, Faith in the Halls of Power or maybe more importantly, in terms of reading this book, for people that did not read um, View from the Top, an inside look at how people in power see and shape the world, introduce us to, to Hinge Moments. Hinge Moments is the book that helps guide us through the big changes of life and how we manage transitions along the way. It's based on 550 interviews with uh, senior leaders in our culture, in government, business, and nonprofit life, and teach us uh, practical ways that we can ourselves make the most of the changes that come along the way. So I want to talk, um, if, if you're willing to, about the hinge moment in your own life. Um, that really led you uh, to even consider moving from serving as a professor at Rice to serving as the president of Gordon College some 10 years ago now? So I was uh, happily established there in Houston, thought I would be at Rice the rest of my career. And uh, my 32-year-old cousin, Trent, was killed in a car accident. 
I'm an only child, so he's like a little brother to me. And that was very much a wake-up call. Um, we're not promised tomorrow, we're told throughout Scripture. And I realized that if I wanted to try and eventually make my way into college administration, this might be the moment. The search committee had reached out to me uh, at Gordon, but I had sort of put it off thinking, you know, maybe that's 10 to 15 years from now. But after Trent passed away, I decided I'd give him a call, never thinking that I would uh, be selected for the job. Just thought it'd be a great opportunity to go uh, go through the process. But in the end, in God's providence, I was selected, and it's changed my life. I'm very grateful that I did. Um, it, it, yeah, there's no question that your service at Gordon um, has been not just influential for the students and families uh, whose, you know, whose kids have gone there, right, whose young people have attended there, the work that you did in terms of making it um, more affordable. I mean, that's a that's a storyline in and of itself in terms of uh, leadership in a Christian uh, institution of higher ed. But you've had some other challenges at Gordon as well, um, just in terms of the cultural moment in which we live. Uh, and so, you know, we could have another conversation about that, certainly. Um, but I want to I want to help people see into this book, Hinge Moments. This is not just for people in higher ed. This is not just for people in academia. This is actually for regular people, um, maybe even graduating college seniors um, or or people who are like in the midst of COVID and saying, gosh, I feel like I'm at that point where it's really time for me to do something different. How do I know? Um, talk with us about how we all face hinge moments and how we can make the most of them. Well, it's uh, certainly a book that we've written to try and uh, serve a wide spectrum of folks. It's a perfect book for Mother's Day or Father's Day or for graduation. Each of us go through big changes in life. Uh, you get a new job, you graduate from college, you get married, your spouse is, uh, uh, comes down with a, a cancer diagnosis, or you find that uh, you're, you're going through a rough patch, rough patch with uh, one of your kids. All of these are moments that God can use in our life to help uh, redirect us and renew us. And so the book walks through seven phases of transition and how we try to manage the most of those, giving some practical spiritual advice, as well as uh, helping folks to sort of maximize the moment that they face. If we have 37 million minutes in our life. If you're an average American, that's the average lifespan. There's probably only, I don't know, 20 or 25 of those minutes that actually redirect the shape of your whole life. But being ready for those hinge moments when they come, that makes the key difference to making the most of what God gives to us. And like you, um, Michael, I would observe that the consideration that we stop and give to the possibility of a hinge moment sometimes triggered by um, a really negative life event for someone else. Um, and so I do appreciate the personal stories that you tell in the book, the personal um, the personal vignettes that help us understand how this works. Let me just say to listeners, these seven phases uh, or stages of transition that are covered in Hinge Moments, uh, which they really do have a disproportionate impact on our lives, but the seven uh, phases or stages are discernment, anticipation, intersection, landing, integration, inspiration, and realization. I'm talking with Dr. Michael Lindsay. Uh, this is a brand new book. It actually drops tomorrow, but we have copies to give away from our friends at InterVarsity Press. So if this is um, 
this is a conversation that you say, oh, wow, I really need that. I know that I'm in a hinge moment and I don't know what to do with it. I don't really know which direction this is going to swing. Um, or I have a person in my life. It's graduation time, Mother's Day, Father's Day. Um, maybe you've got a, as I do in my own life, a couple of young adults who are like, I just, gosh, I don't want to keep doing what I'm doing, but I don't know what I am called to do. Um, good book for um, for those conversations as well. You can, you know, you know the drill. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll enter you into the drawing. Um, Michael, talk about um, the way that we handle transitions as this, you know, really essential element of life, like how we handle it matters more than maybe we think. These 20 or 25 hinge moments that each of us will face in the, I love this, 37 million minutes of our life, um, they really do have a disproportionate impact on the people around us. Talk about the relational component of all of this. So often our own hinge moments are mediated by the people that we love. Uh, So Mm -hmm. our spouse, our kids, our parents, and oftentimes as they go through big transitions in their life, it has a cascading effect in our own life. One of the things that I talk about in the book is that the the real tough moment in any change occurs when you're in this between and betwixt stage, the intersection phase where you've decided that you're leaving uh, your your last chapter, but you have not yet entered into your new chapter. That's when you need the support, the love of your church community, small group, family, and close friends. And oftentimes it's that sort of relational glue that helps us make it through those difficult moments. Part of the reason, Carmen, I wanted this book to come out now is because as we're emerging from the pandemic, we're actually experiencing a societal-wide hinge moment, unlike anything we've seen in our lifetimes. And the angle of the recovery, you know, the trajectory that's going to come out of the recovery is largely going to be shaped by how we handle the next three to six months. So it's my great hope that people of faith, the Christian community will be in a a better position to help wider society to be able to see the good news that comes through the redemptive work of Jesus and how we as a community can make a positive difference for the common good. When you think about Christians right now, Michael, in the um, in the culture, the hinge moments that they might be thinking about, I mean, their heads might be actually swirling um, because they've got really pretty significant changes happening in, lo- in their local congregation. They look at the wider culture and they, th- they see things that have changed very rapidly in directions that um, do not align with their worldview. They don't even... They're not even sure they want to send their kids to college, right? Uh, it, it's it's hard. Like it's really hard right now. I just want to just speak into that as a, you know, as a college president, as a dad, um, as a person who's living in the midst of this with the rest of us. Well, I, I I'm very hopeful actually about the possibilities. I mean, I think the great thing about a societal wide hinge moment is that it gives a chance to sort of renew and start afresh, and mm. so oftentimes. We have to try and and look to see, okay, well, God, what could you do in this next moment? And I I often will tell high school students, when you come to college, it's a chance to sort of become the better part of your best self and to allow you to try and live into the strong parts of your personality and in God's providence to maybe uh, tweak some of those things that you'd say probably don't represent Jesus in the very best way. I think that we've actually got that very same moment as a whole culture right now. I'm a glass half full kind of guy, and so I've often thought that 
this hinge moment actually could help shape the reception of the gospel down the road. And even the way that we as a community will respond to the challenges that we're facing, whether it's, you know, the public health issues or the economic issues or the cultural and racial challenges that we see in our culture, all of these provide occasions for us to actually bear witness to our faith, the grace and truth of Christ. I'm talking with Dr. Michael Lindsay. Uh, among other things, the author of Hinge Moments, Making the Most of Life's Transitions. We will return to this conversation in just a moment, but now's the time. If you want to enter the drawing for the copies of the books we're giving away, now's the time to text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Michael Lindsay, we're talking about his new book, Hinge Moments, Making the Most of Life's Transitions. Um, you might think this is just a book, um, I don't know, that's a little bit of a how-to um, in terms of moving through these stages or phases, but this is actually a book that is filled with really personal observations about uh, how this all works. And so, Michael, um, I am, you know, I'm looking at an at an advanced reader copy, so I'm going to say it's on page 120, but that might not be true in the in the book you're holding. Um, um, but it's the story of Elizabeth. It's it's the store. It's the it's the tale you tell in responding to hard joys. Can you um, can you tell people about Elizabeth when she was just four months old? So my wife and I uh, were thrilled to welcome our first child, Elizabeth, who was born in 2004. My wife had a typical pregnancy and a normal delivery, but within about 12 hours of Elizabeth being on the earth, we realized that uh, she was uh, different and things were not going as we planned. Over the next couple of months, Elizabeth missed a number of the developmental milestones, and we began getting more and more concerned, taking her around to see different specialists. And when she was four months old, we took her to see a, a pediatrician who basically uh, told us, I don't know what's wrong with your daughter, but something is really wrong. It took us three years to finally determine Elizabeth has a very, very rare genetic disorder that both my wife and I were carriers for, didn't know. And it's had a profound impact on Elizabeth. She's uh, severe special needs. If you look at her, she looks typical. She can walk like other kids and clap like other kids, but she has the intellectual development of a two-year-old and she's now 17. She doesn't have language. She has problems with internal organs, neutropenia, which is low white blood cell count, and a number of different issues. But uh, Elizabeth has brought a great deal of joy into our life, and our family has forever changed. I'm a very different person, different college president than I would be if I didn't have Elizabeth in my life. While at the same time, I'd have to say parenting her has not been easy. And in fact, uh, it's been a form of a hard joy. In the book, I talk about how sometimes the Lord can use hard joys in our life to help reshape us, and they also become important hinge moments in helping us to grow, mature, deepen in the faith, and become better people. And part of what we are trying to do is to have eyes to see how God might use these different hinge moments in our lives to refine our character, help us to develop virtue in our life, and in the process, make us more uh, committed followers of Jesus. Michael, I, I felt in reading that, I felt like um, if more people knew the hard joys that others are walking in, we would be more gentle with one another. That's absolutely I mean, the case. I mean, that was my observation in reading that. I was, you know, I was thinking to myself for all of the people who have uh, 
who have seen Michael Lindsay as, you know, sort of the golden boy on the, you know, on a, on a fast track escalator um, in terms of uh, higher Christian ed and and your influence um, in conversations among Christian college presidents and those kinds of things and on leadership you know, I'm, I am wondering, or those that, you know, took your institution to court for various and sundry reasons, uh, um, um, you know, I, I found myself wondering, like, if they if they paused long enough to consider the humanity of this individual and um, and who he is as a husband and a dad, um, would they treat him in the same way? And I and I. I know that that's not what the book is about, but it did occur to me in that moment. That that was an aha moment that I had in the midst of that. If people knew what was going on just just beneath the surface of what we're often um, presenting, we would treat one another with a lot more gentleness. I think that's true for all of us. And one of the key things that I think tragedy or challenge helps us in our own life to sort of open our eyes to be able to see, you know— People are carrying around both the burdens and the blessings of life, and you may think that it's all about blessings, things are rosy and cheery, when in fact they could really be uh, dealing with sadness and difficulty in their life. I think that part of what growing up and maturing the faith involves is being willing to extend a deeper degree of grace and kindness to one another, because you never know the challenge that someone happens to be carrying. And it oftentimes surprises us. People that you're working with, your co-workers, your neighbors, the person who's in the same pew with you at church, these are the people who need us to demonstrate love and kindness. And as we become more aware and also become more empathetic, God changes our character for the good. Okay, so the book is Hinge Moments. Michael Lindsay is the author. Um, We have copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877- Nine three three two four eight four. Can we take a couple of minutes to talk about this very unique, like, exchange of leadership taking place between Taylor <laughs> University and Gordon College? Like, so <laughs> it's my understanding that the provost and executive vice president of Taylor just became the president of Gordon, and you are leaving. Uh, have uh, have. I mean, if he's the president, then you can't be. So there you go. You're no longer the president of Gordon, but you are going to be the president of Taylor. What is going yeah. on here? Yeah, his name is Mike Hammond. And uh, so uh, Mike was here last week to be announced as uh, my successor. And uh, he made the, the comment, you've heard of the mic drop. Well, this is the mic <laughs> swap. And uh, we're really we're really excited about it. I mean, obviously, our two searches were independent. We didn't know. Um, but in God's providence, that's what's happened, that we have – Really, uh, my wife and I feel a deep sense of calling to the opportunity to serve at Taylor, and he and his wife feel a deep sense of calling to come and uh, pick up the baton at Gordon. I think different institutions need different things from leaders in different seasons. And so he and I share a a similar vision of wanting to help Christian higher education make a, a positive difference to the wider academy and, frankly, for the church. But at the same time, you know, we bring different skills, different abilities And that's a great thing about the way the Lord works, is that he takes what he's prepared you for and places you in opportunities where you can thrive and flourish. And I I happen to be one of those people, and in in Hinge Moments I talk about, I I don't think that there's just one place you can serve. I think the Lord can use in a variety of different places. And part of the great adventure of the Christian life is just being open to say, God— what could I do? Where could I go? How can I serve you? And I've been amazed at the opportunities that my family and I have gotten 
as we become more open to the leadership of the Lord. And it'll also be really fun for us to have this shared connection between Taylor and Gordon in the years ahead. All right. For people who don't know, where is Taylor University? We're outside of Indianapolis uh, in Indiana, a wonderful campus, uh, about uh, 2,000 students from around the country and around the world. And we'd love for folks to come check us out. Yeah, it's really, um, so as a native Hoosier, I'm kind of excited. Mm. My parents met at Purdue, so I realize that's not Taylor, but I'm really excited that... uh, that you're headed there and excited for Gordon as well. Like it's, um, I, I do believe that in different seasons uh, of life, institutions, you know, just really do benefit from different kinds of leadership. So thank you so much. Give, um, give our, our ardent um, encouragement and blessing to Rebecca and your girls. Um, I just, uh, I really appreciate you more than you could ever know. And the new book is excellent. Blessings on your transition uh, to Indiana. Thanks so much, Carmen. Great to be with you. Absolutely. That's Michael Lindsay. We're giving away books of Hinge Moments today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. All right. Um, wow. I can't believe the first hour of Monday morning is already is already done. Um, I, I love doing radio. And Paul and I were just noting that, you know, had I not uh, responded in a hinge moment in 2015 to an invitation to sit down at a radio microphone, having never done so um, with no background in any of this, um, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing today. And we both love what we're doing today. So oh, yeah. thank you for. <laughs> all right. So thank you for um, for joining us in this. It literally we, we couldn't do it without you. So thank you. To each and every one of you who make this possible, thank you for those of you who are an ongoing part of our support system here at the Faith Radio Network. Thank you for those of you that are radio missionaries and share this programming with others via the Faith Radio app or online at myfaithradio.com or just through you know serving as um, ambassadors of this ministry. You know, if you are passing along to others what you receive here, you are an ambassador of this of this ministry, and we really appreciate it. Um, What are your hinge moments? Maybe you're in one right now. This would be a good opportunity to reflect and, um, and, and learn and learn from somebody who's passed through some significant hinge moments and has a lot to share about it. So we're still taking your texts. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for a copy of Hinge Moments by Dr. Michael Lindsay, making the most of life's transitions. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Dr. Linda Mental will be back. It feels like um, it feels like a long time since we've talked with her. We will also be diving into Romans chapter 14 and 15 in the opening segment. So stay with us or, you know, get somebody on the phone and say, hey, now's a really good time for you to tune in. If you missed the first hour, it's not too late to jump in on the second hour. It could be a shared experience that then you discuss with them later in the day. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.